the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my offices in San Jose, California. Uh, I'm on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale, so in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. If you uh, are ever in this area, if you want to check ahead, I'd be happy to uh, greet you at my office and uh, maybe chat a little bit if you'd like to do that. I am taking calls on the air today if anyone is interested in that. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I also want to let you all know that I have my Living Trust Seminars coming up in October. On uh, Saturday, October 19th, I have one at 9 o'clock a.m. in the morning for you early risers and one at 12 o'clock noon for those of you who like to sleep in on a Saturday morning. Uh, Space is limited and they're starting to fill up pretty quickly. So uh, if you're interested in coming to one of my Living Trust seminars to learn about Living Trust planning and and a whole bunch of other stuff at the same time, uh, I suggest that you go to eventbrite.com that's event b-r-i-t-e dot com and look for the living trust seminar on october 19th and you'll see both of the seminars there you can register for one of those and i'd be happy to see you at my office and i'm now also formally announcing and confirming that i will be having two public seminars in november They will be on Wednesday, November 13th from 7 to 8.45 p.m. and Thursday, uh, November 14th from 7 o'clock to 8.45 p.m. And uh, they will be at the Camden Community Center, which is on Union Avenue, just north of Camden Avenue, again in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. It's actually very close to my office. Um, those registrations are now open. I have room to take many more people than in my smaller office. And you can go to eventbrite.com and look for the Living Trust Seminar on November 13th or November 14th. And you could register for um, those seminars right away. Um, So I'm letting everybody know in the radio audience those are available. I'll be letting everybody know on my email distribution list that those are available and also on Facebook and other accounts that I have. 
So if you'd like to come rather than an evening during the week, I'd suggest November 13th or November 14th. Now this morning, my kids had the pleasure of having my wife's parents, who flew in from Chicago last night, go to Grandparents Day. I don't know if those of you that have the younger kids, if your schools have something like that, but at my daughter's school, um, they have a day where all the grandparents or uh, any older relative or even an older family friend, if there are no grandparents, can come to the school, visit with the kids in their classroom. They go to um, a mass at the school and then afterwards get together for refreshments. So it's kind of a nice thing. It's great that my daughters get a chance to see their grandma and grandpa out from Chicago. Last time we saw them was back in December of last year. So um, it's uh, great to see them. They're only here for a few days, but we're planning on having a good time. I think we're planning to go to Gilroy Gardens this evening with everybody uh, so they can go on some rides and, and kind of have a little fun while they're here. So moving on with the, um, the normal approach that I take with my show today, no one having called in so far, I'm going to go to questions and comments from around the state of California and uh, do a little bit of analysis and hopefully help some of you out there today hearing a situation that's like your situation or someone that you know and you realize there's someone at the other end of this microphone that may be able to help you or help that family member or friend. Now here is someone says they're a single dad with two minor children. Now, I don't know if that means that there was a divorce or if this single dad uh, lost his spouse. The former's bad enough. The latter is, of course, uh, very painful. Uh, he has these two young children and he wants to leave his children all of his property when he dies. And when they're of minor age, um, um, if they're still minors when he dies, he wants to have a custodian that can make distributions uh, over time, for example, at 18, 19, 20, 21, 25 years of age. So, will I need to establish a trust specifically for the minor children for this to occur, or can I simply create a revocable living trust that can distribute the assets when my children reach the ages identified above? Well, the short answer is that it's one and the same trust. You're really talking about one revocable living trust that says how you want your property distributed. But in the case of this single dad who uh, looks like out of Brea, California, my advice would be don't distribute the property out to your kids just because they've reached some magic age. Certainly not age 18 or 19. I don't know about you, but I would have been completely incompetent to receive any kind of an inheritance at age 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 for that matter because I was financially incompetent at those ages and I think probably a lot of young adults in that age bracket are financially incompetent probably should not receive an inheritance right away. What I'm likely to recommend to this single dad with the two young kids is I like the idea of holding it in trust for them but you know what? Keep it in trust for them, perhaps for their entire lifetimes, and then have them able to access their inheritance 
as it's needed during their lifetime. If done properly, you can provide asset protection for the inheritance from all the things that could come against these children during their lifetime. Things that are self-inflicted, for example, a child that becomes an, a drug addict or an alcoholic or a gambling addict or something similar, uh, losing the inheritance in a bad marriage where they accidentally mix it into the marriage and then a divorce comes later and half the inheritance goes out the window. Uh, also getting sued because they have a professional practice and they make a mistake and they're sued for malpractice. Or you cause an accident of some kind or somebody trips and falls uh, coming up to your home and they get badly injured and they sue you, the homeowner. All these kinds of things suggest that it may be better to leave property in trust for the lifetime of the child so they can access funds as they need them, but they can have their inheritance protected. This is what I stylize in my practice as castle trust planning, building a castle uh, protected um, wall and, uh, and moat and things like that around the inheritance so it can be protected from all those things and people that in life can come and try and take an inheritance away from somebody. Um, I do this, done this for my daughters because I don't trust the boys that want to marry my girls someday. Uh, I say that even though they are only in sixth grade, but uh, I'm a dad. Part of my prerogative is to not trust the boys that want to marry my daughters. And I think those of you out there that have have uh, sons or daughters, a lot of you feel the same way. You just don't trust those people. You hope for the best, but in this case, hope for the best, plan for the worst, and protect the inheritance for those children. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. And when we come back after the break, I'll continue on with more questions and comments from around this great state of California. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I've been informed by Marco, my engineer, that I have Martha from San Jose on the line with a question for me. Martha, are you there? I am. Welcome to the show today. How can I help you? Well, my aunt, who lived in Maine, left me a small inheritance, which was very sentimental to me because her whole estate was quite small. However, when I received the inheritance, I was given an accounting of her entire estate, so I knew exactly what she had. I talked to someone from another state, and that was not the case in that state. What is the situation in California? If I leave something to someone, would they receive an entire accounting of my uh, entire estate? Well, it kind of depends on how it's left to someone. If if an estate goes through the probate process, part of the no, probate it would process, not because I have a living trust. Okay, then then I'll ignore probate uh, with a living trust. Uh, 
whoever is a beneficiary, all the beneficiaries of a living trust after someone has died are entitled to an accounting of the assets of the trust. Uh, they're entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust and uh, at least one accounting before there's a distribution, which means that whoever is the successor trustee needs to gather the assets together, determine what the date of death values were, identify the actual assets, and provide at least one accounting to the beneficiaries of here's what was owned, here's what the value was, um, here's income or whatever that was brought in from the time that the person passed away uh, so that it, it's all above board. Now, beneficiaries can, if they desire, they can waive the requirement that the trustee provide an accounting. You might have that if it's, two, you know, if it's three kids and they're all very close and they're all kind of working together anyway. Um, but kind of the short answer is, an accounting, at least one accounting, has to be pro be provided by the trustee. Um, d does that kind of answer that for you? Yes. So you're saying that each beneficiary named would receive an accounting of the entire estate? Well, an accounting has to be provided to the beneficiaries. Uh, mm -hmm. If you had a beneficiary, though, for example, that it says you get $10,000, yeah. Well, the the um, the trustee can pretty much go ahead and it's like, here's a copy of the trust. You get $10,000. Here's your $10,000. And that person doesn't really need an accounting because they're receiving a fixed dollar amount. Or maybe they're receiving a fixed item or items. Uh, you uh -huh. get uh, you get the the 2015 Camry. OK, here it is. They really don't need to know everything. The people who are receiving the actual assets or the bulk of the assets, if they cannot be given what they're supposed to receive right up front, then they're really going to need an accounting because that will help them determine just what's coming in, what types of things they're getting, what the value is. Eventually, that may impact whether they have taxes owing if they sell something later. So, um, the the general rule is that an accounting is prepared and distributed to the beneficiaries, but as a practical matter, if you have a beneficiary that can just be cashed out, they really don't need the whole thing. Now, if that's a beneficiary getting $10,000 and they thought she they should have gotten one-third of everything, well, then you're probably going to know pretty quickly that they're not happy with getting ten grand, and they're going to be raising a fuss. If that's the case, you would provide an accounting to everybody, and then that person may turn around and file a lawsuit contending that you were mentally incompetent when you did your estate plan. Um, <laughs> and um, that does happen now and then. I've had it happen literally one time in my career, and uh, and that particular lawsuit went down in flames when I was deposed by the attorney representing the disinherited heir, and they found out from my notes exactly why the person was being disinherited, and the lawsuit went away. So so um, that's kind of a little more involved answer, but in general, an accounting needs to be provided, a list of assets, their values, and then if there was income or uh, gains or losses, things like that, that's what accountings generally provide for. 
Okay, so what what I understand you to say is if I state a specific amount, they would not have to receive a, a, a statement of the entire account. Not really. If they can, okay, if someone so if can I be paid off, if someone can people, be paid off early, if someone can be paid off early, um, mm-hmm. you know, like if like if ten thousand was going to a charity, you you give the ten thousand to the charity, they're not going to care beyond that point, um, because they're getting ten thousand dollars and and that's it. Um, but on the other hand, if someone who is a beneficiary insists on an accounting then you need to provide it, even if they're just getting $10,000. I see. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you for calling. Mm-hmm. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, so that was Martha from San Jose with, with a great question uh, about uh, accounting and who's entitled to actually get information, um, get information about someone's estate after they have died. With a trust, it's more limited because it doesn't actually get published publicly, which is what happens in a probate estate. Uh, Everything there gets listed, identified, and valued and gets filed with the court and is public information. So anyone can go in and find out what somebody owned, uh, who their creditors were, who's receiving the inheritance, what they're receiving, and actually where where the person inheriting actually lives as well, believe it or not. That's actually all in the public probate record. One of the major reasons why I am not a big fan of using the probate courts to administer and distribute someone's estate after they've died. It takes a long time, it's very expensive, and it's completely public. But mainly the delays and the public nature are what I really uh, don't like about the probate process. Fact of the matter is, though, that about two-thirds of the country don't do any kind of planning. So if you haven't done any planning yourself so far, you're in good company. About two-thirds of the people in the country don't do any planning. Uh, So their estate plan is no plan, which means it defaults to the estate plan that you'll find in the probate code of the state where you happen to live. Okay, we're coming up on the second break of the show today. show seems to be flying by extra fast for me today. I hope you found it interesting so far. But when I come back after the break, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I do want to remind you the number is 800-516-1220. Let me add in, you could also email your question to me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. And I can actually get uh, those as well. I'll be happy to respond to uh, email questions if you don't feel comfortable getting on the air and actually talking to a studio audience or uh, a radio audience. So I'll be back after the break. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I have a a number of more questions and comments from around the state of California to cover here. Some of them are pretty straightforward and some of them are a little more complicated. But I think uh, some of you out there are going to hear things that actually 
<clears throat> will apply to you right now. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead with these. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. If someone calls in, I'll certainly take that call on the air. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you'd like to email a question to me to be heard on the show today. <clears throat> now here's someone that says, okay, uh, someone passed away. They own real estate. This was in Los Angeles. They owned it as a trust. And it here says the successor trustee has made an affidavit of death that's filed with the county recorder. Probably an affidavit of uh, death of trustee. Um, I actually use affidavit of change of trustee and then indicate that the reason is because the, uh, the actual original trustee has died. And um, the question is, as the trustee... Do Is there a legal need for me as trustee to transfer title under my name in order to sell it? Well, if there was an affidavit of change of trustee and part of that affidavit was to include the name of the new trustee, the successor trustee, that affidavit actually acts to clear the title into the name of the successor trustee as the new trustee of the trust. The property could then be sold. Um, if there was just an affidavit of death of trustee, but nothing indicating who takes over, then you don't have a completed changeover yet. There would have to be some other action taken for the new trustee to now go on to the title as the successor trustee. But if this person kind of followed what I hope they followed, they should be in good shape and would be able to turn around and sell the property. Now, here is a brother and sister who bought a house together and they hold the title to the house as tenants in common. Now, tenants in common means they each own a divided interest in the property uh, in their own names. It could be a 50-50 interest. It could be any percentage ownership that they decided between them. But let's assume it's 50-50. Says here they're thinking about changing the title to joint tenancy with right of survivorship. So if one dies, then the other one gets the whole property and then can just sell it to get the proceeds. Is that a good idea? Well, it could be a good idea if it's basically two siblings that bought the house and they want the surviving sibling to actually own the house. The uh, advantage of that is that one dies, the other one now owns the house and could sell. But the disadvantage is if one dies and then the other dies without selling, you now have a probate for this for the second to die sibling uh, in their estate. Or if they're in a common accident, um, they might be a brother and sister who just live together and they bought a house together to live in. They never married. They don't have kids. Then you could actually end up with two probates because each one of them passes away and uh, their respective share has to go through the probate process. So um, if there's a common accident, you don't know who died first, then you don't know who survived in the joint tenancy and you'd have two probates. For a situation like this, I'd probably advise them to each set up a living trust to own their respective halves of the property so that when one of them dies, there's their trust directs their half to the other sibling 
And then when that sibling dies, their trust says where the property is going to go because the first sibling to die is no longer alive. I think that's going to be, uh, it gives the ability to avoid having an inadvertent probate of one or two probates for that property because something happens to, to the siblings and they either die at the same time or one dies and then the other one dies owning the entire property. Okay, this is actually a very straightforward question. Um, someone says, okay, mom died. We now have to get an EIN number. That's basically a tax number for mom's trust because now it's an irrevocable trust. However, me and my sister are co-trustees and the SS4 application from the IRS only asks for information on one trustee. How do I tell them about the second trustee or do I even need to? The answer is there's no way to report that on the application. So pretty much one of you decides I'm going to be the one to have all the communications with the IRS. And if something happens to me, then the other one will have to contact the IRS and take over any further communications dealing with this trust. They don't allow you to put more than one trustee on the tax ID application. So that's the kind of the answer to that one right there. Oh, now here's a here's a situation. I know this comes up all the variations on a theme. This person's in uh, Fairfield said, my coworker had a stroke and has been in a coma for almost eight weeks. Her husband doesn't have a durable power of attorney from her and therefore isn't able to act on her behalf. He can't move forward with doing anything with her CalPERS retirement or her deferred compensation plan. And I would add to that, her husband cannot even file a tax return with his wife because he has no authority to sign her name. Unfortunately, this is going to trigger a conservatorship. The husband's going to have to become uh, become the conservator for his wife going through the court system up there in Fairfield, which I think, as I recall, is Solano County. It's going to take quite some time to get that done. It's going to be expensive. To give you an idea how expensive, here in Santa Clara County, an uncontested conservatorship, meaning where no one's fighting about who's going to be in charge of somebody and their property, that could be anywhere from $7,500 to $12,500 for an uncontested conservatorship. So unfortunately, that's what this husband is looking at in order to get the authority to access his wife's retirement monies on her behalf and also to get authority to even file a an income tax return with his wife this upcoming April. Um, not a good situation. It suggests at a minimum you need a health care power of attorney, you need a financial power of attorney, And you need maybe a simple will at a minimum. People, I think most people should have trusts and those other documents, but at least have a financial power of attorney and an advanced health care directive. There are statutory forms you can download from the Internet, fill them out, have them witnessed or notarized, as the form indicates, and at least have something in place. I don't think they're the best documents out there. They're okay. They'll work for a lot of families. They won't work in some other situations. 
but it's better than having nothing in place. As an aside to that, if you have children that have just turned age 18 and they're going off to college or they're in college, your children should have a financial power of attorney. They should have an advanced health care directive and they should at least have a simple will. They may not have much, but you know what? Kids that age, 18, 19, 20, 21, they get injured. They get incapacitated. They may need people to handle things for them, make medical decisions. At least do that, I think, at the minimum. At least do that for them. Uh, You can download here in California. There's a statutory form, Will, that's available at the state bar website, calbar.ca.gov.gov. I think that's what it is now. And uh, you can also download a statutory form financial power of attorney and a statutory form advanced health care directive. At least do those for your kids before they go off to college or if they're at college right now when they come home over Christmas vacation, get those papers done so that you have something in place just in case the the horrible happens and your child becomes injured, incapacitated, something along those lines, you now don't have to go and get a conservatorship to help them out. Okay, uh, let's see here. Okay, this person says they're the sole agent under a power of attorney for both finances and health care and named as co-trustee of Dad's Trust. Dad's been diagnosed with dementia and many other health issues uh, um, unknown how much longer he has to live. Uh, this person says they're the sole heir um, named in the trust. Want to know, can I be added to stock owned by my dad in order to pay expenses for my dad? Well, first of all, if you are the successor trustee and the financial power of attorney agent, then that means you could sell the stock on behalf of your father in order to raise the money to pay for expenses for your father. You would not put your name on as a co-owner. That would be inappropriate and likely in violation of your responsibilities as a trustee or your responsibilities as an agent under the power of attorney. So you wouldn't want to do that. But you do have the authority, more likely than not, to actually sell those things to raise funds for the expenses for dad. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. It seems to be going gangbusters. When we come back after this break, we'll be in the final segment today, what I call coming around the far turn and heading for the finish line. So this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. If you want to call, I could probably take one call after the break. It's 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. But nobody calling. I'll finish out the show today with a few more questions and comments from around the state of California. So I'll talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Stay tuned for the final segment of the show today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show today, and uh, I wanted to cover a few more questions and comments and then wrap up the show before the weekend. 
And uh, ahead of time, I'll say I hope you have a great weekend. I'm uh, planning on spending time with my my in-laws from Chicago, uh, and I happen to get along very, very well with them. They're in town for a few days visiting, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, visiting my kids at their school today for Grandparents' Day, which I think is a very, very cool idea. And um, in, in any event, let me give a few more of these questions and comments, and then we'll kind of wrap it up for the day. Uh, here is a question about, oh yeah, okay. Now, um, when someone passes away and they had a trust, what happens is their revocable trust will then convert to an irrevocable trust because the person who created the trust has died, which means that person can no longer make changes to their trust because they are literally unable to do so due to death. So this person indicated they're responsible for getting for an EIN, uh, an employee identification number or a tax identification number, if you will, after the grantor passed. The grantor is the creator of the trust. Um, and here said, I've received inconsistent advice on what type of trust I should be getting the EIN for. Um, and the ca what category do you select on the form SS4 when applying for the EIN? Would it be for a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust now that the grantor has passed? Well, it's an irrevocable trust. You would not apply for an EIN really for a revocable trust. As a general rule, you'd never apply for an EIN for a revocable trust because you just use the Social Security number of the creator of the trust, or in the case of a married couple, either Social Security number can be used as the tax identification number for a, a revocable trust that is a grantor trust. It's one that's set up um, for the benefit of the grantor. You generally would not get a tax ID number anyway. But in this case, after someone's died, their trust converts to an irrevocable trust at that time. And because of that, you would want to actually then turn around and, um, and apply for the tax ID number as an irrevocable trust. Okay, now here's one of those situations that always angers me when I read about this. Um, says, I know my sister has made herself in charge of my mom's finances, but does that mean she controls who lives in my mom's house or control over my mom? I know my mom is okay with the financial part, but not with who can live in her house. Well, it's hard to tell from this. Is mom still living in her own house or is mom in a nursing home now and the house is there uh, and now is being used as a rental property. I mean, if it is the latter, then whoever's put in charge of someone's property, either by a power of attorney or because they are the now successor trustee of the trust, they're the ones that have the authority to decide what to do with the property that is owned by the person or the property owned by their trust. So if mom's house is now a rental property because mom is in a nursing home, well, then the sister who's in charge of mom's finances, she decides um, who who to rent the property to and what the rent is to be and 
collects the rents and maintains, takes care of the property, things like that. Um, whether or not this person, the sister, has control over the mom depends on what mom's condition is. If mom is now mentally incompetent um, because of Alzheimer's, dementia, a severe dementia in a coma, something like that, then essentially the sister's in charge and has control over mom as well because that's the purpose of having legal documents like advance directives, financial powers of attorney, and trust where you've actually named someone uh, to handle things for you if you can no longer handle it. Okay, let's see here. No, that's that's not a good question here. <laughs> that's a good one here. All right. Um, I'm currently receiving child support for my nine-year-old child. I've never had it before. My child currently has Medi-Cal from the income I provided. Uh, we're divorced, and it was never agreed upon not to get child support. Will the support affect my child's Medi-Cal? Also, my boyfriend lives with us. Does his income count for my child? Boy, there's a lot of things to unpack in there. Uh, I think certainly if you're now getting child support for your child and your child is getting Medi-Cal as the primary health insurance for your child, based on your income. If your income has gone up, you have to report that, and that could possibly cause ineligibility for the Medi-Cal benefit. I mean, you really need, in this case, someone like this needs to specifically consult with an, an attorney that specializes in Medi-Cal. Most elder law attorneys would be appropriate for that. I don't really consult on that, so I'm not the one really to consult on something like that. All right. We're down to the last few seconds of the show today. I hope you've had a great time. Remember that I have seminars coming up on October 19th, which is a Saturday at 9 and 12, and November 13th and 14th, Wednesday and Thursday evenings from 7 to 8.45 at the Camden Community Center in San Jose. So I'll talk with you next week. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn 
Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.